Welcome back to Abundant Culture Podcast. Where we dissect the mindsets and tactics of the true beasts of business. People like Gary Vee, Grant Cardone, and Warren Buffett. All to create a blueprint to experience life more abundantly. Hey everyone, some of you probably already know Nathan Tabor from our previous podcast episodes, but today we're actually going to be talking to him about real estate, more specifically multifamily real estate. We're going to talk about due diligence, what he looks for in the deal, what type of market he likes to look at, and things of that nature. So feel free to sit back, relax, and listen to this podcast episode with our friend Nathan. So Nathan, thank you again for coming on to a part two to our mini series. Uh, We are very excited to have you back and um, really talk about another specific topic. So for this week, we wanted to talk about real estate because you've done so much in your real estate career already. Um, So what brought you into real estate? Well, good to be back. Um, Hope uh, part two is as successful as part one's been. So I got into real estate in a really odd way. I didn't start out, um, you know, oh, I'm going to go take some courses or really wasn't even trying to get into real estate. I was into, you know, starting businesses and being an entrepreneur and a gentleman walked into an office of mine and said, hey, I have an 18 unit complex. Do you know anybody who would like to buy it because the bank's getting ready to take it back? I was like, I mean, at that point I had literally bought my own personal home. That's the only real estate. Now, out of fairness, I did have a little background. My dad grew up, uh, I mean, growing up, my dad was a painter and he used to, uh, I think he flipped maybe like five houses um, when I was growing up, but I was really small, but I had a kind of construction background, painting background. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, let's run the numbers. Let me look at the numbers, but I didn't know, you know, anything really about real estate. And the first five banks that I went to, which I had banked with in other businesses, but they were like, no, 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 and no. So five no's. I was like, well, that's insulting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, The sixth bank said yes. And this was a a class C property, kind of the the wrong side of town. lot, you know, you drive, you would drive, you know, when you drove up to it, it was very rough. Uh, windows broken, dotted duct tape, holding things together. The roof looked like a quilt my grandma would make. <laughs> wow. You know what I'm talking about, right? The six, yeah. seven, eight different colors where yeah. there was a leak and they just found some random shingles. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So that was the, that's, that's how I got into real estate was just an oddity of somebody walking into my office and asking if I would want, wanted to buy a piece of property. Yeah. And if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about how that deal actually went? Cause when you say, when you kind of describe it, it was a little rundown, wrong side of town, different things of that nature. Um, a lot of times that description of a property can be like, kind of like a hidden gem and could possibly be very profitable. So can you explain maybe the process of going through that deal and some of the things that you uh, maybe encountered in doing so? Yeah. So, you know, the the thing that I just background business wise, for me, I'm always looking for a niche. Yeah. Something that, you know, very few are doing. Well, obviously this guy had been trying to sell this property and couldn't because there were a lot of issues. There were a lot of tenant issues. There were a lot of 
construction maintenance issues. You know, it wasn't just going in and, and painting the shutters and painting the front door, mm. selling it. I mean, there were major, no structural issues, but major cosmetic issues. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, looking at it, when, when most people would drive up to a property like that, they would immediately turn around and drive off because they just don't even know, they don't know a general contractor. They don't know how to price things out. I mean, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Those, as far as real estate, uh, in my opinion, those are the ones that there is still kind of a niche, you know, buying the $150,000 house, putting 20,000 in it and selling it for 200,000. You know, those investors are a dime a dozen. There's thousands of those people out there. Yeah. And so you're competing, your, your margins get a lot slimmer because there's more people bidding on those properties. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I, you know, asterisk here, I didn't know anything about real estate in the sense of like the numbers or any of the lingo or the language. So I bought this 18 unit, started renovating it. Um, it was kind of at a dead end of a street and there was a 12 unit right behind it. And they used to be one complex, but they had been split up at some point. Well, that owner came and said, Hey, do you want to buy this 12 unit complex? Nice. And I was like, well, so I went to the bank and bank said, yeah, we'll finance that for you. And this was 2006 and they did a hundred percent financing and a hundred percent renovation. That doesn't happen anymore. That's beautiful. <laughs> good, good way to get started. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I ended up, I renovated, um, those 30 units, um, got them leased up and I sold them in eight and a half months. I made a little over $253,000, I'm sorry, $223,000 off that complex. Nice. I went to, the day I closed, I went to a friend's house of mine. She's a state senator now, but she used to develop Food Lion grocery stores, which is a Southeastern grocery store chain. And she said, Nathan, she said, what was the cap rate? And I'm sitting on her front porch and I remember just like it was yesterday. And I started in my mind, I'm like, cap rate. <laughs> like, is that did the you have Google back then at least? No, well, I probably did, but I'm standing right in front of her. I mean, like, you know, 18 inches away from each other. And uh, she's kind of got me, you know, holding me by my shoulders, like kind of looking at me like, and, and she's not old. I'm not going to say that because you might see this, but I'm 45 and she's probably 75 now. So, you know, there's a motherly relationship there in a sense. I was like, is that where the ridge vent is on the roof? And she's like, please tell me you, I mean, the deal was $850,000 by the time it sold. Please tell me you didn't do almost a million dollar deal and not know what a, a cap rate is. Cause that's pretty essential to commercial real estate. And I was like, no idea. You know, and, and here's the, the, so I made a lot of money, but you know, I turned around and I did my next deal and I lost $150,000 because I didn't do a five minute phone call. So, you know, I kind of got my, my, big boy pride britches on and my, you know, greed goggles. Mm -hmm. And there's some systems you need to learn. Yeah. I don't know everything about real estate, but you better know uh, at least the foundational issues. And where I ended up losing money on the second deal was zoning, hmm. which you, th you would think that if you have an attorney, uh, an appraiser, a surveyor saying, Hey, this property's grandfathered in it's, you can run it as an apartment complex or you can run it as whatever they state it is. Mm -hmm. But they had missed that the property had been divided two years earlier in the setbacks and the setbacks are how far buildings have to be away from each other when they're built for fire code. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
the time it was built, it was 25 feet. When they were split up, it, it broke the grandfathering and the new setback was 40 feet. Wow. Which meant my complex was out of compliance. Wow. So I sat there for 18 months, you know, and each day I it eventually was resolved. But you know, when you're going through something, what do you don't know? You don't know how it's going to be resolved. Yeah. You don't know if you're going to resolve it. You know, so for 18 months, a five minute phone call to the zoning department to say, Hey, can you verify that this building is what, you know, give me a certified letter or a, you know, signed or stamped letter. Yeah. Um, you know, finally was resolved, but you know, during that 18 months, there was a lot of sleepless nights and a lot of worry and a lot of stress of how it was going to be resolved. Yeah. And 18 months is quite a while to yeah. not even know, you know, yeah. if something is actually going to get fixed. So I definitely understand what you're saying there. Mm -hmm. So you're just sitting there and if you've ever been there where you're sitting there and you're writing money out and it's not making you any money and you don't know if you're ever going to get it back. That's a tough, tough situation to be in. It is. Absolutely. I bet. So especially, uh, especially when you know it's something you could have avoided. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that, you know, when you did your first deal, they had hundred percent financing on both the renovation and the acquisition. Um, can you explain? I'm pretty sure there's several differences. Can you explain the difference between how you used to do like, I guess your first 10 deals back then versus how you may structure and do your deals now. Like yeah. what are the differences between those two? Well, so the, the only difference that first deal was the hundred percent uh, renovation, hundred percent um, purchase every deal after that in 07, 08, you know, the economy started changing and then drastically changing. Yeah. And we never really saw the the collapse of the commercial real estate the way we saw the residential, mm -hmm. but it affected the banking. Yeah. And, you know, deals immediately turned to 20% down. So if I were, you know, in a million dollar deal, I had to bring 200,000 to the table. Mm -hmm. yeah. There was no, no questions about it. That's how it had to be structured. And then in some, in some of the rougher deals, if like I, I do, I try to, you know, the, the worse, the better for me because yeah. there's, there's not as many people competing in that, but I bought complexes that are, you know, hundred percent vacant. Well, who's going to cover the property tax and the insurance and the, the, the mortgage payment if there's no one in the units? Oh, it has to be you. Well, it's got to be, it's got to be the person buying. So, you know, when I would go when now, even now, when I go to a bank, I say, okay, here's the 20% down, but I think it's going to take me, you know, six months to get up and running and get enough cash flow. And I've got these laid out in Excel sheets, enough cash flow, but I'll put 12 months worth of mortgage payments in a holding account that can make the payment until the cash flow catches up. Yeah. Which essentially almost comes to 30% down. But with the way banking is today, it's not a, it is cookie cutter in a lot of sense, but um, they will go over their requirements to do a deal, but they're not really going to, they're not going to adjust it down to 15% or 10%. Yeah. But if you can go to them and say, Hey, you know, this is a, a really interesting deal, but there's a lot of money. There's a lot of equity that could be put in a deal like this. But I also understand that there is this issue here. Because, you know, bankers who, underwriters have been doing this. I mean, they see the red flags immediately. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So if you're going into to try to get a deal with a bank, you need to just go ahead and up front and say, hey, there's this red flag and this red flag and this red flag. And here's my solution to this flag and this flag and this flag. Yeah. Because if not, what are they going to come back? They're going to come back with, oh, you don't know what you're doing here, here, and here. So you got to address these. So now you've created a question in their, in their mind. Do you actually know what you're doing? Yeah. Whereas if you'll just go ahead and address it up front, there's a, there's a better chance than that you're going to get that loan from the bank. Definitely. For sure. And you mentioned that um, it got harder for residential um, rather than commercial back in like 2007 and eight. Um, so is that why you focus on commercial or um, is there like another reason? Uh, it was just, you know, now really the person who walked into my office, I mean, you know, prior to that, I had never really thought about doing real estate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was just an opportunity. But then once I got into that niche and I see this in a lot of people, like I have a lot of, you know, people approaching, Hey, do you want to, do you want to do this? Do you want to get into developing raw land or do you want to get into trailer parks or do you want to get into, and you find a lot of people in, in real estate investing or just in life, but in real estate investing where they're doing this for a minute, but it doesn't work out. So they go do this. Mm -hmm. yeah. They do, you know, single family, but then they're trying to do uh, strip malls, small ones, or they're trying to do, but they never get anything done. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, real estate, even though there's a lot of courses out there of, you know, buy this and be a millionaire in a year, you got a trust fund. Yes or, you know, a really rich uncle or something. But the traditional model in real estate is this is a three, five, seven, ten year process. Yeah, for sure. Building the relationships, building the rapport, building up your cash, you know, so it's the time. And, and I've got into an industry that where, you know, if somebody knows they've got an apartment complex that they're having trouble selling, they'll call me. Yeah. Mm. So why would I want to switch lanes in something that I've already spent, you know, almost 14 years now developing myself in? Mm -hmm. That makes sense. No. So for me, that works. You know, there are other opportunities I consult with and I, I you know, I, I work on, but my main focus is multifamily, class C, high deferred maintenance, uh, because that's what I'm, you know, that's what bankers know me as, that's what brokers know me as. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you're getting started in this or you're trying to build what you're currently doing, you need to find that niche and kind of own that. And then yeah. once you own it, if you tap out on that, then you can go develop another niche. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of times people get into a niche and they do one or two, they don't master it. And then they go try to do something else and they fail mm -hmm. yeah. or they struggle with it. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, what are some of the markets that you actually like to look at? Like what are the different cities? Because I know, uh, there's some people who they really, really like rural areas. And then there's some people that like the very, you know, high density urban type area areas. Like what are the, I guess the market indicators that you like to look at that make you say, Oh yeah, I want to actually invest here. Yeah. Now, you know, so in, in that, scenario there's like the syndicators and I, i'm not a syndicator you know syndicated deals they're looking for the top normally 25 markets 
Yeah. Because they're looking for the long hold. They're looking the 10, 15, 20 year picture. So you got to, you know, look at the education systems and the, you know, jobs and infrastructure roads. You know, they're looking at a multitude of markers to see if, is that area on the way up or is that area on the way down? Yeah. You know, when I'm looking at my deals and what I'm looking at, class C are traditionally more, you know, the 35, 40 year old units, blue collar workers, you know, people who, Honestly, if they had a choice, they wouldn't be living there, mm-hmm. but it's the pl- best place that they can afford Yeah, yeah. their home. So the major deals I'm looking for are those complexes that were built, you know, 40 years ago on right on the edge of town or right on the edge of the residential growth. But over the last 40 years, housing developments have, have encompassed that apartment complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now you have this, you know, 40 unit, 60 unit, 80 unit sitting in a weird random place amongst hundred, $150,000 homes. Yeah. Yeah. And if, and I tell people, you know, if you want to find deals like that, those are the ones you drive around. You go drive in a community, you drive in an area and you find those and you look at the tax value of the tax record and see who owns it and reach out to them. Mm-hmm. Cause those are normally owned by, you know, individuals or family partnerships. A lot of them been owned for 20 or 30 years. And if you can make a, you know, build a relationship with them when they get ready to sell, they're most likely going to call you. Um, you know, there are some deals you can find on LoopNet and MLS and, and places like that. But by the time they normally get posted there, everybody's awesome. looked over them. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Um, so I'm looking for deals that are in, you know, good, decent residential areas, but there sets this random multifamily complex. Hmm. And so the specific reasons for that, is it because of the, I guess the, it's in the path of what they call it, path of development? Yeah, no, it would be more like if you're going to, you know, looking at what you can get into in the niche and the investment normally in these areas, those apartment complexes are the source of the issues in the community. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So if you can find an area where home ownership in these little, you know, in this, um, you know, two bedroom, two bath, three bedroom, two bath, 1200, 1400 square foot homes and the yards are nice mode and the landscaping looks good. You know, they're older homes. Um, but they're, they're taking care of them. And then you find this random, like, you know, eyesore sitting there with duct tape on the windows. And the, it was talking about the, the roof, the quilt look and that, if you can find an area like that, that the area is good, but the complex is the source of the issue. Yeah. Yeah. That and, actually, that makes perfect sense because I'm pretty sure the community loves to, see you especially if they know about like you or what you do they yeah. they love to see you coming because i grew up in a neighborhood where you know it it was basically c class and then you'll have these row of homes and they weren't the best homes but they were decently taken care of and then right across the street there's this huge apartment complex that's just like like needs, a, needs a bull needs a bulldozer to come knock it down basically. right yeah, or, so. or for an owner to come in and renovate it and you know kick the rip you know evict the riffraff 
Yeah. Get rid of the, you know, most of these complexes I find, you know, if you have a hundred tenants, there's only two or three or four of them that are your problem. There's kind of like the bullies in school. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very small percentage, but if they're not controlled or kicked out, they will rule that area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what is some advice that you have for um, investors that look at apartment buildings, but, um, they're concerned about another market downturn. Like what is some advice that you could give some people? Because um, up here anyway, a lot of the people that I work with, they're still doing deals, but they're very, very cautious just because there is going to be a market downturn eventually. And uh, a lot of people want to know how, what's the best way to protect yourself from that if you are, if you do have an apartment building that you're going to be holding on to uh, yeah. when that time actually comes. Well, you know, so you want to look at um, your interest rate. Yeah. You know, is it a fixed rate or is it a, you know, is it an arm or, you know, you want to look at the terms of your financing because mm-hmm. you don't want to get caught in the middle of a, a downturn and you're having to try to refinance. Yeah. You want to look at what you're paying for the property. Is it really worth that? Or are you paying a premium because of the economy is really good right now? Mm-hmm. I see that happen to a lot of investors. They really don't, they want to get into real, they have money, they want to get into real estate, but they really don't know what they're doing. And they're paying 20, 30, 40% more for a complex than it's worth. And they're thinking, oh, it's going to be worth more in 20 years. But, you know, if you're doing class C, that's not a good mock. Class A, different. Mm-hmm. Class C, that's not a really good strategy. And there's a lot of commercial brokers out there. That's how they're selling these properties. Oh, Oh yeah, for sure. You're, you're going to find that in, but if you've never dealt with class C, this is a different mindset. It's a different tenant. Uh, the other is the due diligence side. Um, you know, property that's 40 years old, when you're buying it, you need to make sure that, you know, what's the hot water heaters like? What's the HVAC like? What's the parking lot? What's the big ticket items like? Cause they might be working today, but if those all those hot water heaters are 20, 25 years old, in the next two, three, four, five years, you're going to have a slew of hot water heaters to replace. Yeah. And so a lot of times investors just go in and they're looking at some sheet that a, you know, a broker or someone has put together, but then they really don't know on a property like that. They need to go in and, and look at all the, you know, what's the deferred maintenance? What's the future deferred maintenance? What's the rent? And the last ones, this is the rents. Can the rents be sustained? Because if you're in an area depending on how you know big, but a couple block area or a half mile area and everyone's renting their units for 600, but in the good economy, you're getting 750. Mm-hmm. What happens when the economy starts to go down and people aren't making as much money? Yeah. They're going to go to the 600 model. Yeah. And if you've ran your numbers on being able to stay afloat at 750 and you can't go below 725, you end up with a, you know, 50% occupied complex or less. Which is definitely not good. It's the kiss of death for, for an investor, right? The cash flow is king on that. Yeah, so, for sure. And there's a lot of people out there. I see that right now. They're like, oh, I can get 800 a month for this today. And they can. But I said, what is this property going to bring in for you if we go through, and when we will, there will be another downturn. It's just, we're kind of on a roller coaster right now. And the average rent for that type of complex, that type of unit renovated to that level, that size is 650. 
yeah. Well, when the economy turns, they're going to be they're going to be they're going to be forced to lower their rents. Yeah. And then their model doesn't work. Yeah. And over the course of 50 to 100 units, that's a lot of money. Oh, yeah. You know, per year that's like you basically just lost because yeah. you didn't necessarily factor that into the numbers, which is great because uh me and um Jasmine were actually working on a real estate fund. And that's a perspective that I never really thought about. Like, it, it makes total sense, but I guess because no one actually said it, I never really thought about it. But like actually looking at maybe what the rents were, you know, back during the last market crash and then seeing if the numbers work off of that number as well. I think that's that's great. Yeah. You have 10 kitchens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So doing 10, ba- one bathroom, you, you got 10 or 20, depending on one bedroom or two bedrooms. I mean, two, one bath or, or two bath. Yep. Mm-hmm. So the due diligence process is all the same. There's just more of it to do. Mm-hmm. Okay. The numbers are the same. You have property tax, you have insurance, you have a, a mortgage, you have terms, uh, you know, you got a, you have a five-year note or a 10-year note or, I mean, all of that is the same. Um, the only really big difference in the commercial. Now you get into the 10 million, the 20 million, the $30 million deals and stuff like that. There, there are some, you know, those like talking about the syndication, there are some numbers you need to look at on the economy of the jobs and that, but you know, if you're dealing in mostly B and C and below, um, uh, the other that really comes into play, there's the cap rate and the cap rates are really simple thing. It's not a complex, it's your, you know, gross income. How much money can you take in? Mm-hmm. If you have 10 units and they're $500 a month, the most you can bring in is $5,000 a month. No more. Yep. Well, then you have, you know, what are your, what are your, what's your vacancy? Well, good, you know, average is 10%. So you're not going to, you know, bring in $500. So now you're bringing in 4,500. Yeah. Well, what are, what are your expenses? And then you subtract your expenses and that's your net income for that month. Yeah. Well, then it's times 12 because 12 months. And then the cap rate, the percentage that is used there is, is just like an appraisal uh, on a single family. It's an kind of an arbitrary, but con, you know, what is other things sold for in the area? Mm-hmm. So an appraiser finds the value of a single family home by looking at three to six other homes of similar value or similar square footage or whatever in that area. And that's how they kind of figure out what your house is worth. The same thing with, with multifamily. They look at three or four other deals and see what the cap rate was yep. at 8% or 9% or 12%. And then that is applied to your NOI. And that's how you get the value of a, of a apartment complex or strip, you know, strip mall or whatever you're applying the cap rate. But most people, when I talk to about cap rate, they're like, Oh, I just don't understand it. I I've looked at it and I'm like, what are you looking at that? I'm not because it's a very simple formula. Yeah, for sure. Not, it's not a hard. um, So the biggest thing on that, you know, if somebody's trying to get involved, you know, understand a little bit of the terminology, learn that, but then just start, you know, putting your business plan together, your investment packet. And instead of looking at single family, look at commercial. Yeah. And uh, piggybacking off of what you kind of stated, like people ask you about cap rate, don't quite understand it for whatever reason. And to my understanding, you have a training that you offer people 
And uh, just out of curiosity, what are some of the things that you go over and that you uh, teach about in that training? Because uh, I feel like it may be useful for a lot of people because uh, I've noticed, I talked to a a lady, I think it was yesterday, Mm -hmm. and she was talking about how much she wanted to get in the commercial, but she just literally didn't feel like she had a foot in the door and there was still a certain a certain amount of things that she didn't necessarily understand. So what are some of the things that you talk about in your coaching and your training? Yeah. So, you know, in, in that is, I do, I do quite a bit of that of helping people, you know, either transition or get started in from simple things, you know, business plan, investment packet, defining your niche, um, you know, to how do you take, go to banks? How do you go and, you know, seek a loan? Um, you know, kind of what we talked about earlier, you know, identifying those red flags. How do you find the properties? Got a whole program on that, which, you know, if, if people are looking for a simple, Hey, I want to buy this program and become a millionaire. That's not my program. There's a lot of programs out there that, you know, that's their, what they're doing. Mine's more, or mine is from a very realistic cause it's based on what I've done. It's based on what I've succeeded at, but it's also based on what I've failed at. Yeah. And the biggest thing in commercial real estate, but this applies to single family too, because I, I hear it all the time is I missed something. I didn't, I didn't know that I should have known that and you find it out too late. And so, you know, one of the questions I ask people, I think we've talked about this on part one, maybe if, you know, who owns fire hydrants? Mm-hmm. Did we, did we, did we go through that question on the first podcast? I can't remember or not, but I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think. Okay. So who, this is, this is kind of the basis of my um, coaching and consulting and course in that who owns fire hydrants. Mm. What cost a fire hydrant is about $8,000 to replace plus any piping that you have to put in. Um, In the traditional answer that I hear 99% of the people say, Oh, well, a town, a municipality, the County, Somebody else owns that other than, than me, mm-hmm. but private property can own fire hydrants, HOA and single family. If that fire hydrants in your, in your yard, you could own it. You just have to look at your deed. So I bought a 66 unit complex that had four fire hydrants, almost a half a mile of piping. And I called the fire marshal to say, Hey, I need to get these inspected for my insurance company. There's like, okay, we'll be out, you know, tomorrow and we'll let you know if there's any issues. Five minutes later calls back and says, Hey, it's a $75 fee per fire hydrant. I was like, <laughs> for what? <laughs> well, we looked in our database and you own those fire hydrants. And, um, that's so weird. I'm trying to think of something, you know, what you talking about, Willis, what was the show? <laughs> and sure enough, I called my, my real estate attorney, my dirt lawyer and said, Hey, can you look at that deed? And about three fourths of the way in the deed, the city of Winston-Salem had put the fire hydrants in, but deeded them over to the property. Oh, wow. Thankfully there was nothing wrong with them, but had, I had a quote done on it just to see it was, it'd been $86,000 to, fix those units if all of them had been bad and the piping had been bad. Wow. So when I go in and I, you know, I'm working with someone, it's, you know, about the, you know, the A to Z, but it's also about the life. Mm -hmm. What kind of life are you trying to accomplish? Where are you trying to go? And everybody's story is different. 
And so, you know, taking a cookie cutter approach to how you're going to be successful in real estate, in my opinion, doesn't work because I don't have the stress or the life that you all have. You don't have mine. You know, I, I deal with single parents. I deal with people who have been married for 40 years. I had a client the other day. She'd been working on real estate for two years and her husband didn't know that she was doing real estate. Was wow. Like, wow. How is that going to go? How does that happen? <laughs> wow. And so, you know, this is more for me and my, my program. It's more, you know, yes, how do you develop your real estate? But how do you also maintain your work-life balance? How do you maintain your, your character and your integrity? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you can do things a, a right way per se from an earthly standpoint, but you can also still create a lot of headaches for yourself because you didn't do it the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I try to really help people. Yes. Get to where they want to go in real estate, but then when they get there, get there in a way that they can enjoy it. Yeah. And I feel like that's really important because I feel like with real estate, um, a lot of people think it's this thing that, you know, you just throw a little bit of money into it. The money grows and then you have all this money coming in every single month. And a lot of people don't necessarily think about the work involved in it. So it's, it's really important. I feel like that you you're one of the few people that I've actually heard like, hey, do this thing it's going to be work, but you should also maintain, you know, all your relationships and this work-life balance. I feel like that's great. Yeah. I always like to compare it to weight loss. I lost 42 pounds five years ago. Awesome. Nice. Congratulations. And, no, thanks. But I did it the right way. Mm -hmm. And if you, yes, you can lose a ton of weight by, you know, stop eating or fast for a long time or change your diet for, a month or two but then if you come back and you go back to the old diet what happens all the weight comes back and then some more yeah yeah so you can go out and do real estate and get a bunch of deals done but if you don't do them the right way eventually all those little things that you stepped over or own or through come back with a vengeance to bite you definitely i truly yeah. believe it it's happened to me and, you know, again, it wasn't anything illegal, it wasn't anything unethical. It just wasn't the right way to do them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I really try to help people with. So, I mean, I, you know, I'm kind of at this point, if, if people call me up like, Hey, I want to make a lot of money. I want to hire you as coach. I'll talk to them for a moment, but if their desire is just to make money, I'm not going to be a good coach for them. Yeah. Yeah. But if their desire is to make money, but also to have the balance in their life and do things the right way, then you know, I'm a great candidate for them to uh, work with. For sure. Definitely. I love that. <laughs> so what are some of the things that you're currently working on in real estate or are you working on anything in real estate right now? Or are you focused on other things? What's going on? Yeah. So I'm a commercial broker in the state of North Carolina. So I have a, a lot of properties that I'm working with people to, to either find properties to buy or properties that they're trying to sell. Um, I do a lot of consulting on uh, ground up properties, uh, people who are building. I work with a couple economic development groups, uh, counties in North Carolina, uh, these opportunity zones. I'm not sure if you, you've heard of those where the government's yeah. you know, doing this. So there's a lot of counties out there who they either own the property or they've got the property under contract 
um, from a landowner and they're trying to entice a, a hotel or apartment, um, you know, some type of industry that they need in their area to come in and build. Yeah. So spend a lot of time on that. You know, as far as, as my personal investing right now, being a flipper, um, I'm still looking at some deals, but the market right now um, is at one of the highest I've ever seen it. Yeah. And so the deals that I'm seeing come through, they're asking more for an unrenovated complex than it's worth after it's renovated. Yeah. I've Crazy. seen a couple of those. <laughs> and the numbers just haven't, don't make sense at this point. Um, so, but you know, when the deal comes along, then I'll be ready to, to do another deal. So that, you know, that, that, that's my model is I normally start buying when the market goes down, hold to it goes up and sell. Yeah, for sure. And buy again when it goes down and then sell when it comes up. Awesome. Nice. There are still, there are still deals out there. Yeah. Um, there are deals to be done. Uh, but I'm not, you know, like three years ago, I was driving around two or three days a week looking for deals. Yeah. And then, you know, I'm trying to kind of transition. We talked about this in the, in the first podcast, you know, I'm doing a lot of ministry related stuff now. Yeah. So sure. I, I still have my, my toe and my time over here in real estate, but I'm also spending probably 50% or more of my time a week now doing ministry related podcasts. Um, I do a lot of mentoring consulting, coaching in a whole different, you know, division. And that is kind of where the Lord's leading me, but um, I'm still in real estate because there's a lot of people out there who are uh, believers. There's a lot of people who are out there that are good people and they want to do things the right way. They just have either, they haven't met the right person to help them or they've worked with and several of my clients. They've worked with three or four different groups and they just came away with, with nothing. Wow. And so, you know, I'm there about, and I look at that as, as, as part of, not, not part as my, as ministry, but, you know, in our, in our society today, we've lost a lot of the common decency of just helping others. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, if, a, if you see a little old lady in a parking lot at the grocery store trying to get her groceries in her car, she's not going to bite you. Go over there and help her put her groceries in her trunk. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Definitely. Yes. Yeah. And, and it's, um, so I like that aspect of the real estate of, of, you know, someone having like, Hey, I really want to do this, but I just don't even know. I don't even know where to start or I'm stuck. Yeah. And I like helping, you know, walk them through cause it's, it's good for them, but it's also, you know, it's satisfying that, uh, the old phrase of it's better to give than to receive. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a fulfillment about helping someone get to where they want to go that you can't get any other way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It truly is. Yeah. Yeah. And I know that's why you all do the, you do your podcast because this isn't something you're making money off of. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a lot of things that we actually don't like ever plan on really monetizing this podcast being one of them. Uh, we volunteer at our church a lot um, just because we love doing that. We love our pastor's vision. Um, and we also started giving um, kind of, financial literacy presentations uh, to churches in the surrounding area. And uh, me and Jasmine agree that we never want to charge. Well, even if we get really great at it and we charge other people, we never want to charge the church for that yeah. because we feel like it's something that everybody should have at least a base knowledge in because right. I definitely did when I graduated high school. Yeah. 
that's a whole thing. And, and that's cool to see people like that little light bulb switch on like, oh, yeah, that's what that means. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and it's like, what about our society of those people not being able to ask someone in their family or a friend because we've become a very judgmental, like, what are you talking? You know, you're an idiot. You don't know that. Well, yeah. how am I supposed to know if I've never been taught it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so that's awesome that you guys are doing that, that you're spending your time going out and helping others. Yeah. Thank yeah. yeah. It's, well, it's very we're fulfilling, isn't it? Oh, it, it, is. it is. It's excellent. So yeah. we just plan to keep that going. You know, what's really cool about that too, is when you start doing stuff like that and you know, that's where God wants you to be. Mm -hmm. You know what starts happening? Doors start opening up. Oh yeah. Never even thought of. Yeah, definitely. And it's, yeah. it's kind of, it's bizarre, I guess how that it's hard to explain, but it's like things that I have going on in my life were things I wouldn't even have really thought about. Or if I did, I wouldn't have been like, no, that'll never happen. Yeah. Right. But it's happening because I'm where God wants me to be. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he always finds a way to surprise you. Mm -hmm. He does. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you're with Jasmine. He surprised you big time with that one, right? <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. Because, um, like, the way we met was so weird. And, like, I never would have thought in a million years that we would have actually, at the time, I never would have thought we would have got married. But Yeah, like, you're like me. I'm married way above my means. So, you know, I thank the good Lord every day for... Uh, bringing my wife into my life <laughs> definitely for sure um so to wrap it up because we do want to respect your time we have one more question for you um yes. before you give us your contact information for everybody out there that's listening and the question is what is the number one thing that you want people to get out of this episode so the number one thing out of this episode is you know kind of the thought well the helping others. That's a, a side note on that, but um, dig into what you want to do. You know, learn, if you're going to do something, learn the, the due diligence behind it, learn the, the A to Z of it, and don't give up when the first time you ask someone to do something, to invest with you, or you make an offer and the answer is no, don't give up on that dream. Because when we have, we are a society today of instant gratification. I mean, I can order, I love Chick-fil-A, but I used to have to drive to get it. Now I can go to my phone and DoorDash or any of the other, <laughs> bring it to my house. Yes. And it's, it's like, oh, well, if I can't have this now, oh, then it's not worth having it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you look at, you know, history wise, just in the last hundred years, Henry Ford, um, the Amazon, Jeff Bezos, any of those, and you read into them, yeah, you'll see success at this, but underneath that, do you know what you see? Failure, 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 Action. failure, failure. Mm -hmm. Jeff Bezos has had 250 companies fail. I didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> I didn't either. Until I, until I, was read, until I, I listened to it on Audible to one of his um, biographies. Do you think do you think he sits around at night going, "Wow, I failed 250 times"? No, right, nope. So we have to start, you know, digging in and saying this, like you said it best earlier, taking the time and the hard work and the the blood, the blood, sweat, and tears to get to where we want to go. It's not just start doing it and all of a sudden, you know, here it is. Yeah. Um, so I think that would be the, the biggest, you know, that's easy to say, right? 
Mm -hmm. It's easy to give that advice. Um, But when your back's against the wall and you're trying to put something together and you've had a no, 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 and no, it's really hard at times to get up and keep doing it. Now, from a evangelical side, if we're, if we're, if we're where God wants us to be, it's easier because we know there's some plan there. We just don't know what it is. Yeah. But you know, don't give up, you know, keep, if you got a dream, go after it. Because if you don't go after your dream, somebody else is going to go after it and get it right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. People say, Dave, what's the difference about that person? Why is that person, you know, doing so well? Because that person over there is working it. Mm -hmm. That person over there is taking the time, the effort and the energy to find out what needs to be done. They're doing it. And when they fail, they get up and do it again. Mm-hmm. For sure. And if they fail, and this will be the last on this, if you fail on the same thing over and over, then start doing it a different way. Don't just hit your head against the sheetrock, you know, because it's like, oh, well, this is the way it's always been done. Sometimes you need to throw that phrase out of your vocabulary and start doing it a different way, right? For yeah. sure. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. We had a conversation about that yesterday. We actually did. <laughs> Was it something about that you needed to start cleaning up around the house and, and helping with that the was last week. Or? That was last week. That was, that was last week's conversation. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know how I know those conversations go on? I've been married for almost 16 years. So, you know, it's uh amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely know where you're coming from. Yeah. So uh, basically last thing, I know some uh, people have watched this podcast or will watch this podcast and they're interested in working with you in some type of way. Maybe they're in North Carolina and they want to buy properties there. Maybe they want coaching or maybe they just want to be know what you're up to in ministry. Uh, what is the best way for somebody to actually get in contact with you and ask you about some of those things? Yeah. So they can uh, visit Nathan That's N-A-T-H-A-N. Tabor, T-A-B is in boy, O-R.com. And from right there, there's um, links all to the real estate or to the ministry. Got a bunch of free eBooks uh, that people can download. And then there's all, you know, links to my podcast and all the various stuff of uh, so even social media links off of there. And, you know, I'd love to connect with people. Uh, if they got a question, love to help them out, um, you know, any way that I can. And if I can't help people, then I, I, I direct them out. Yeah. There's a lot of people I can't help or I don't have that skill set. And I'm not one of those that in, in any aspect of, oh, yeah, come on in, you know, let me take your money and I'll help you. I'll just say, hey, I, you know, I'm sorry, that's not my area of expertise. You need to call, you know, this person or this person. Awesome. We well, appreciate thank it. You so yeah, thank you so much for this part two. And we're excited to do part three. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm, I'm excited as well. Hey, I appreciate you guys, uh, you know, your podcast and the, the content that you bring out and the questions you ask, because uh, it's really good for people to, to dig into not just the, the high things of the money, mm-hmm. but to really understand some of the practical side. Yeah, you for know, sure. At times it's not the, the most compelling but it is actually the most compelling because this is where you make your money or this is where you lose your money. Yes. Certainly is in the details. Yeah. Yep. It, it definitely is. And we've experienced that tons of times over. It's the smallest, slightest change in your business and how you do business that can make all the difference. Make all the difference. Yep. Sure. <laughs> Thank you guys again for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Look forward to episode three. Yes, for sure. absolutely. <laughs> Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
So that's all we have for today, folks. I hope you got as much value out of this as we did. Keep in mind, the only way we can improve is through constructive feedback. So remember to rate and review this episode. Also, you are not the only person that needs to know this super valuable information. So be sure to subscribe and share as well. Stay tuned for the next episode and remember to always spread abundance. Peace.